Turn together to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. I need to be in full disclosure mode. Um, if, you, if you like organized note-taking, this is not your night. Uh, let me just apologize to those of you who prefer bullet points and all the bullet points starting with the same letter, those kinds of things. Um, this is going to be just a little more, just a little more random, I guess of a like, presentation of what I believe God has for us tonight. So, um, yeah, so all of you who are kind of like me, like you're, you're just okay with whatever, then this is your night, so hope that you're happy. Um, we started off uh, the season of Lent by looking at the discipline of confession, um, just really like believing that, that it's, it's absent from a lot of our lives, as far as just knowing how to process our uh, like our like stumblings into like issues with sins, uh, so we just sang what I would consider maybe the best song ever written, uh, definitely top two, um, and uh, just in its completeness or whatever. And uh, and so the when you, when we come out of that idea and and Jesus Son of God, which is also just a phenomenal song and. It's very clear that, that Jesus has, he has been victorious over sin. That's what this season is, is about in a sense that we're, we've set our faces toward Jerusalem, toward the cross, just like Jesus did. And so it's 40 days of living sacrificially in, in light of what he has done. What he is, he's heading toward Jerusalem, so we kind of join him in that journey headed toward Easter and he, he has defeated sin. That's, we know what happens on, on Easter Sunday, and we, we, we get all that. Um, and so uh, sin is like we're, it's, there is no more bondage there. There's no more enslavement there that's been taken care of. And so now, now that we have been made holy, now we're, we're learning to become, we're learning to live in the righteousness of Christ, living in such a way it's consistent with that holiness. And so our battle was, was with sin, and we could not, we couldn't win it. Like, it took Jesus to win it. He's won that. And so now our battle is with sins. It's with this, we're living in this recovery phase. We're in this rehab-type situation where, where we used to be enslaved to sin. Now we're free to love Jesus, but, but we still kind of have some old patterns and some old ways of thinking. And so Jesus is teaching us how to live in in freedom, and so we started off looking at c- confession being like this discipline in our lives, where we—it's uh, how we deal with our struggles with sins currently. You know, by by confessing what we have done. You know, um, not that it's news to the Lord, but it's it's good for our souls when we come before the Lord and we say, "Lord, this is what I did, um, and I, I I own up to it. I'm not making excuses for it. You know, this this is my struggle." And then we repent of that. We say, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I don't, that's not what I want the pattern of my life to be. And then we receive the, like the, the grace that the cross offers to us. We don't, 
We don't ask Him to forgive that because He's already forgiven that. It's, it's an acknowledgement of that forgiveness and a gratitude that comes from knowing that we have been healed and been restored and He has freed us from that. And that we don't, there is no weirdness between Jesus and us over what's happened. Like He knows. That's why He died. Um, but just that being a discipline that is, it's good for us to know how to process these, these strugglings as we're like going through rehab from sin. Um, so we went from confession into a three-week deal looking at the, like Jesus' temptation in the desert um, where, where the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness to fast for 40 days and, uh, and to be tempted by the devil. That was a part of the plan. And so what I want to do tonight is kind of bring, uh, kind of help, help us make sure we, we see how that temptation fits into like our story, into the big story, and how confession and all those battles with sin, kind of like where, where that fits into things. Um, and so, I, really, this is going to actually be like a, like a sibling sermon with something that we talked about during Advent. Um, and really, Advent and Lent, they're siblings in themselves, and they're completely related to each other. Uh, Christmas and Easter have everything to do with the other one. Uh, and so I kind of want us tonight just to make sure that we understand how these things fit into the larger narrative that, uh, that is Jesus. And so in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, um, there's the, it's this prophetic word about Jesus that we studied during Advent. And, uh, and there was, you know, he says uh, that the Messiah's name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we kind of slowly went through there. Um, if you want to know why Jesus was tempted in the desert, like why would, why would God orchestrate that? Uh, the reason is uh, Him becoming the Wonderful Counselor. Like those things are, are very much related. So there are a number of reasons why. Like, why would, why would God orchestrate this temptation? Because that's exactly, exactly what happens. Uh, it says that at the beginning of the account that the Spirit, capital S, Spirit, led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Like, that was the point. He didn't lead him into the desert and the devil heard about it and was like, oh, I'm going to totally go mess with this guy. No, God orchestrated the whole thing. Um, and so God doesn't orchestrate things randomly. He did it on purpose. And a part of that purpose was making him more and more and more into the wonderful counselor that Isaiah said he would be and that we know from experience that he is. And so if you, if you actually, if you go back to the very beginning of the Bible, there's this whole storyline that gets set up and it's in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to put it on the screen. You don't need to turn to it. Um, so after, the, after, Adam and, after Adam and Eve eat of the, of the tree and sin enters into the world, God hands down, like, okay, like, this is what's going to happen. Uh, and and he, like, there's a curse that falls to, to man, to woman, to the earth, and to the snake. And this is what, this is what it said to the snake. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock. And above all beasts of the field. Okay? So that that's a part of why nobody sees a snake in the yard and runs over to it. It's like, oh, look at the cute little snake, or whatever. That's a part of the curse. I know that there are people who love snakes. The majority of the people do not love snakes. Um, 
And, so, and that's some of what is being said there, but it's, it's deeper than that. Um, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Okay, in the next verse, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Okay, so there's going to be strife between Eve and the snake, between all of the children of Adam and Eve, and between all of the children of this snake. There's this, there's this conflict that's going to be there. But then it's interesting because it says, He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is, the, this is by, by most accounts, the first like, foreshadowing of the gospel that we see in the Bible. Is that last part? He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. Now, what's what's more devastating, a heel bruise or a head bruise? Definitely a head bruise. If you want to kill a snake, you bruise his head with a shovel. I've learned this; it is actually quite fun. Uh, <laughs> after uh, you, after you, you know, you know, you see a snake, you kind of go cold for a second. Like once the warmth comes back to your body, you're like, I'm about to kill this sucker. You don't cut his tail off, you know. You don't, like, you don't like throw a pine cone at him. Like You cut his head off. So he's going to bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. We know, because in our community groups we've been looking at Isaiah 53, we know that Jesus was bruised and beaten and crushed. Uh, and so this is a prediction of what's going to happen. And and I love it because God is looking. He's looking at the snake, but then Satan. He's like, here's what's going to happen. You're, one, is, one of her offspring is going to come to you. And yeah, you're going to bruise his heel. But he's going to crush your head. It's coming for you. And so, we have in the temptation in the desert, it's kind of like, kinda like when, when God... Uh, like told Satan, he's like uh, about Job, you know. Like he's like, "Hey, have you considered my servant Job?" Same thing happens in the desert, where he's like, "Hey, have you considered Jesus?" Because right before the temptation, he's baptized. So Jesus gets baptized. The Father speaks from heaven, says, "This is my Son, whom I am well pleased." The Spirit comes and. Like comes on him in the form of a dove. Everybody's like, what is going on? You know Satan knew what was up. And so this temptation account in the desert that we've been studying is a, a time when basically the father was like, tells Satan, hey, have you considered, have you considered Jesus? And so this is a, this is a showdown of sorts that happens. And you'll find that when... When there is a, a specific undertaking on the part of someone who, like a part of, of any of us in, in our relationship to the Lord, you get, a, you, you get a different kind of bullseye on you. When someone becomes a Christian for the first time, they get a, 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 a different kind of bullseye, you know. Um, as a, a part of sanctification, if you get to a point when you're just like, I'm totally, totally sick of living this way. And you kind of just have one of those like moments where like some something just comes alive in you, 
And this, there's just a moment between you and the Lord, and it's, it's just strong and good. Uh, new kind of bullseye comes on you. If you, if you enter into a marriage covenant and you say, okay, we're, we're going to agree to love each other like Christ loved the church, new kind of bullseye on you. There's all kinds of things I could say, but when there's some sort of new undertaking, the devil and all his, the demonic forces, they notice. And it's not always Satan himself that shows up, so don't get freaked out by that, but you seem to know that in the, when that happens, the attack is it's going to increase. It just it is. And so God brings Jesus out into the desert, and He puts Him in this, in this very unique classroom. So Genesis 3, we see that. Satan knows from the beginning, your, your end is coming. And it's going to come through one of Eve's offspring. Like, she's going to have a kid, and they're going to have like, kids and kids and kids and kids and kids. And one of those kids... One of the, the millions and millions and millions, one of them is going to crush you. And so maybe he knew when the star appeared in Bethlehem, and maybe he knew at different points. But there was no doubt when Jesus was baptized, like it was on. And so what God does is God, God the Father orchestrates this thing, so let's bring him out here, put him in this classroom. Because Jesus needs to learn some things that he's never had to learn before. Now, and I want, just stick with me for a little bit, because this is probably going to be a little bit strange. It's strange for me to say, or strange for me to think. Um, I know that Jesus was like 30 years old at this point. So certainly he had encountered various temptations up to this point. Okay? But it was different now. Like it, was, it was different now. He hadn't... He hadn't had to, to face temptation like this before. So when Jesus is in heaven, like before the incarnation, before his, his first coming as a baby, uh, he was never tempted. Right? God cannot be tempted with evil. And so certainly a part of him growing up was him having to like, get used to this like, human body deal, you know? And him having to like, learn to live in a world that's full of betrayal and secrecy and lies and you know, lust and pride and envy. And there's just all this stuff all around him. And he's, like, he's experiencing it differently than when he was in heaven before he became human. Right? It's not that he was clueless about it, but now like, he's one of us. So he's, he's, he's experiencing what it's like to be one of us like, firsthand. And so he goes 30 years of, of, of that kind of stuff, and all of a sudden, this, now he's got this title. And he's been affirmed, he's been baptized, he's been like, this, this is it, his public ministry is about to begin. He goes out into the desert, and it's almost like God's like, okay, you need to learn some stuff. You need to learn some things that... Uh, that humans know that we as deity have not experienced firsthand. Jesus had never been vulnerable before. There's not a vulnerable moment in heaven for him. And even in his 30 years, now he's like, okay, I'm going to go into the desert, I'm not going to eat for 40 days. And that creates some of that vulnerability that we've been talking about. The, the, the you know, physically being hungry, the weakness that comes when there isn't food there, 
being isolated from, from people, just all, just all those kinds of things. This was all new. Like he'd never had to be vulnerable like that before. And so in that vulnerability, Satan shows up and there's this duel that happens. And so in that account, when, when Satan's like, turn these stones to bread, throw yourself off this building and get all this attention, and um, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world, you just had to bow to me, all these temptations that are coming, it was forming in Jesus something that needed to be formed. It says in Hebrews 2 that he was, he was made perfect through suffering. That's not just like on the cross, it's talking about an entire life of, of having that happen, but especially once his public ministry began, the attack that was coming his way, the bullseye that was on him, he learned and became like more and more and more and more our high priest. The one who would mediate between us and God. To be a high priest required certain things. And so God made him human made him into this high priest so that he could be the one to be the perfect sacrifice once for all. And so in the desert, something very, very important happened to Jesus. He became vulnerable, and he learned exactly what you and I are up against in those vulnerabilities. He came face to face with the temptation for control to take a shortcut, to not trust the Lord, to you know, question your identity, to twist the truth about God. He came face to face with just, just how sneaky Satan can be. And that perfection that he lived through helped us, help this happen. Hebrews 4, 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Look, at the, look how significant that verse is. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Why? Because he was weak. Because he was vulnerable, because he was in a position to where he probably, uh, like, the idea of, like, bread after you haven't eaten for 40 days, probably really, really appealing. He's basically, he's, he's just saying he's, he's been there. He's one who's, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And it's funny because I think there's, there's this part of us that wants to find a way around that verse being true. Like, I think we want to find some sort of exception in there, you know. And say, well, you know, I mean, like Jesus, Jesus, he didn't have, like, my boss at work. He didn't, he did, Jesus didn't know, he didn't know the stress of, like, having, like, work and family and church and, like, all these kinds of things. Jesus didn't under, he didn't have the time management issues that I, you know, I had to deal with. Jesus, uh, this, this is a weird one. Jesus didn't have money. But I have money. And so Jesus can't understand stewardship because he didn't... I mean, he lived a life, it was a life of poverty, right? He was dependent on the hospitality of other people. And so, like, he doesn't know what it's like to get that tax refund and be like, what am I going to do with this? You know, he doesn't know what that's like. 
He doesn't know what the temptations of the internet are. He doesn't, he doesn't know what, what it's like to be, to be dating someone or to be engaged to someone and to, like, to know like, where the boundaries are in that relationship and not want to cross them sometimes. He doesn't know what that's like. He doesn't know what that's like. And this verse says that's all not true. He does. And I think there's a part of us that wants to like, figure out a way, like find something that we're battling. There's no way Jesus can relate to this. But you take that temptation account. You take those three things. And that's, I think, why God had us boiling things down to some real simple concepts. And, we, and, and you figure out, like, man, if it's really going to come down to like, vulnerability and control and twisting the truth of God and taxing our identity and just finding a shortcut, uh, guess what? Jesus came toe-to-toe with every single one of those things. And so any struggle that you and I have, we can boil it down to those basic like, issues. And, and Jesus, he, he won. But he won because God put him in a classroom where he had to figure that stuff out. He had to learn that stuff. He had to learn what, it, what is it going to take to get through this without sinning. He had to do that not only to become the high priest who could offer the sacrifice that would cover all of us. He also did that because it was a part of forming him into the wonderful counselor of Isaiah 9-6. You might recall that, that there's one, one Bible translation that interprets wonderful counselor as the magnificent strategist. This is Why? Because he's been tempted in every way that you and I have. The details are different. Okay? Two, what year is it? 2013? Very, very different okay, from, you know, whatever. 30 A.D.? Whatever. I don't even know my years. Sure, sure, the, sure the details are different. Who cares that the years are different? There's a timelessness to our wonderful counselor and that he understands it. He understands temptation and sin way better than we do. That's the thing. We think we're the experts. Like, oh, no. I, let, me, let me tell you about struggles with gossip or lying or lust or whatever. I'm the expert in like, one of those things or whatever. And Jesus is like, you're not an expert in that. You're an expert, you're an expert at struggling with it. I'm the expert in like, winning over that. There's a huge difference. And so, because like, we have this high priest who's made it through everything without sinning. Look at the next verse, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The writer of Hebrews, he's saying, okay, in light of the fact that our high priest is perfect, let's draw near to that high priest. And what we're going to find when we do is mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Let's draw near confidently to the only one who's gone toe-to-toe with temptation and sin and never lost. And what he's doing, we looked at it in community group this week, the end of Isaiah 53, he's, he's making intercession for us. That's what the high priest would do. They would mediate between God and man. That's what Jesus is doing. He's doing that for you right this very second. Jesus is praying for this gathering that's going on. He's praying for us right now. 
And what is he praying? What is that prayer based off of? It's based off a number of things. One of them is the fact that he totally gets it. And so he's going to the Father on your behalf, and he's like, you're praying something, and he's like, absolutely. He's like, I know how difficult, I know how difficult finan- like financial like stuff can be. I understand that the you know the temptations of, of the devil in the world and stuff like that. And he's affirming to the Father. He's saying, yes, let's give it to him. Yes, let's let's bless him. Yes, let's 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 guide him through this. Let's let's help. Let's help. Let's help. Let's help. He's praying for you. And praying for me. And his heart is to teach us how to navigate through that. He's helping us through our rehab with this. Because he's been in the trenches before. He's not some advisor who's like, I don't really know how to relate to you, but maybe you could try this. He's been like, well, when, when I faced that and won, here's what I did. And he's not saying that in an arrogant way. He's saying, like, well, I'm pretty much, like, remember, like, I crushed the devil's head. Remember that? Remember when I did that? Okay, so here's how that works. That's what approaching the throne of grace confidently is all about, is knowing that I'm going to find mercy and grace to help me in my time of need. Now go to, go to 1 Peter chapter 1. I was thinking about this earlier. This is going to make maybe, maybe no sense at all. So let me just float that out there and just make myself feel better if it doesn't. I was thinking about the karate kid. Uh, I think it started because I heard the other day that Ralph Macchio today is as old as Mr. Miyagi was when they made the movie. Crazy. Anyway, maybe crazy to me. So that got me thinking about the Karate Kid, and I'll see on, on like TV every now and then, like the, the wannabe remake of it, you know, whatever. I'm talking about the original Karate Kid here. So you have this kid that's from Jersey, moves to California with his mom, high school student, not fitting in. Uh, and he gets to, he goes to, he goes to this like p- dance or a party, it's a costume deal or whatever, and he goes, he's a, remember what he was? He was a shower, right. It was like a shower, shower curtain with whatever. And, uh, so he goes to this party, and, and one thing leads to another, and he's got this, there's this group of guys who are like bullying him a lot or whatever. They just so happen to all be a part of the same dojo, right? Of course, because that's how life works. <laughs> what are the chances that all the guys that hate me are all in the same dojo? Uh, and so they're all in the same dojo, and so... Uh, one thing leads to another, they end up, they're like beating him up, beating him up, beating him up. And then, Mr. Miyagi shows up, right? And, he, and he's like, he can like barely see what's going on. And Miyagi comes in and does all these karate moves and like just beats up all these like high school kids or whatever. And they go running away. All dressed like skeletons, which I think is funny. And so, they, uh, they all go running away. He helps Daniel's son back home, you know. And so, so what, is, what does Daniel do after that? He goes to Miyagi, and you know, thanks him, I guess. And he says, I want you to teach me how to do that. I want you to teach me karate. And Miyagi's like, I don't know, and you know, whatever. And he's like, no, like, I, I want to know how to defend myself. 
Teach me how to do that. And so Miyagi, you know, gets him, like, painting his fence, you know, and he has to, like, paint it a certain way with certain, like, brush strokes, you know, whatever. And he has him wax the car, and he has him do something to the deck and, like, hit, a nail, hit nails in with only one strike, and he's doing all these things. And he has him doing all these things that, at the time, you know, didn't make a lot of sense. And then, miraculously, you put them all together, and he's, like, karate master, you know, because that's how it works. Um, but I was just—I was thinking about just just the idea that Daniel saw Miyagi be able to. He's like he saw it happen, and he's like, "Okay, I'm constantly getting beat up. You know how to fight. Will you teach me how to fight?" I was like, "That's exactly what Jesus does with us. It's the same exact thing that he does." And we're sitting there. We're like, "I just—I keep getting beat up." by temptation, by sin, by my flesh, by the world. I keep getting beat up. I keep getting beat up. And you get a glimpse of the one who can fight and win. And so we boldly approach his throne. We confidently approach him. We say, will you help me learn how to fight? And unlike Mr. Miyagi, he is not resistant And unlike Mr. Miyagi, he doesn't give us seemingly useless things to do. He'll say things like, get in the Word, pray, be a part of a community, abide, confess, repent, sing, weep, be transparent, trust me, Don't trust those other things. Trust me. When I tell you something is a shortcut, believe me, it's a shortcut to idolatry. When I tell you something is only going to bring you pain and it's not how I designed you, just believe me in that. When you're tempted to feed yourself, don't don't do that. When you're tempted to take control, just trust me. Psalm 23 is real. Those are the kinds of things that Jesus will tell us in response. It's interesting to me that, that in those temptations, Jesus, you know, in all three of those encounters, he quotes back to a time in Israel's life when they had been enslaved, and now they were free, but they didn't know how to live free. They only knew bondage. And so God was telling them these very, very important things that they needed to know in order to learn how to live in their new reality. So Jesus is just quoting what God's already told people who used to be in bondage. And that's what He does to us. That's who we are. We used to be in bondage to sin, and now we're not. And He's teaching us how to live in the freedom that He has obtained for us. That's it. And so look at 1 Peter. I don't know this for a fact, but I believe that this is true. I think Peter is just passing on things that he learned from Jesus. I think this is, uh, I think he's just recycling in a sense. And he's saying, well, when Jesus taught us, 
When he himself spoke words to us, these were the kinds of things that he shaped in me. And so the words of Jesus and the the power of the Spirit and all their experiences, and, and Peter, I believe, is passing this stuff on. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. Verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, here's a proof of the throwback, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. I don't know that this is a progression of events, but it seems like Peter has learned some things from Jesus and from his own life. That preparing your minds for action is overwhelmingly important. That if you're, if you're in a place where you're like, man, I'm constantly, constantly getting beat up. I'm constantly losing. I'm constantly stumbling and falling. I'm I need to look to the one who can win. A part of what he's going to say is like, well, you've got to prepare your mind for action. I think some of that comes from like simple things like don't be surprised when you get attacked when you're vulnerable. So you prepare for that. I, um, I've told a, a, quite a few people this, but like for Lent, uh, for Lent this year, like I've gone vegetarian and it's awful. Um, vegetarians aren't awful. I just, I just love that God gave us cows, you know. Uh, but it's been, it's been a struggle and, uh, and whatever, but a part of what it's, it's made me do is it's made me prepare my mind for the next day as far as what I'm going to eat. Like, it's stupid stuff. Like, I'll have to, like, if I'm going to eat lunch with somebody somewhere, I'll, like, go online and I'll look at their menu and I'll, like, find, like, this is what I'm going to eat. Because I know if I walk into that place and they're bringing out food left and right or whatever, like, I'm going to sell out. Like, I just, I just know it. I know myself. So I have to prepare my mind for action like that. And that's one of the things that I've learned through this. And so if you find certain situations where you're, like, you're constantly getting you know, beaten up like that, then like, prepare your mind for action in that. I think that's a part of the mercy and grace that Jesus is going to offer you. He's like, you've you got to get ready. Prepare your minds, prepare your mind for action and being sober-minded. That means, just means being like, just for, like be not an emotional wreck. Get to where you're not in this like emotional like place about it. Like you, a level-headedness has to be like has to be present. And so he starts off with just the role of the mind and correct thinking and the renewal of the mind, you know, it's very like-minded with Paul. It's very much what we talk about all the time here. That that's a part of the path to holiness. It's a part of the path of us living in righteousness consistently with our holiness is that you get your mind there. Like you're just not shocked when you're tempted in the same places all the time. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You make sure your hope isn't set on some weird deal, you know? Not on a person or some sort of object or some sort of concept, you know, in your mind. Uh, 
So you ask yourself, where's my hope in this? Is it set on Jesus or is it not set on Jesus? Peter has learned this from Mr. Miyagi. Okay? This is a part of the discipleship that has happened. As he's learned, my mind has to be ready. I can't be super emotional. And I, my hope has got to be only in Jesus. It can't be in other things. 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. O- obedient children, I mean, get that idea of, like, guess what? You can't be a little brat. You can't be a little brat and walk in holiness. You can't be a little brat and live in victory over those things. Because brats, they feel entitled. It's all about them. They get mad when they don't get their way. And I think Peter is probably saying, some of what I've learned is that like, you've you got to have the mindset of an obedient child. Obedient children are grateful. They're submissive because they trust. And they know their place. And not in, so, not in a weird way, in a great way. I'm being like, hey, I'm, I'm not the king of the universe here. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Okay? In other words, don't think like a lost person. I'm not a big fan of that phrase, lost people or whatever, but sometimes it just fits. Don't conform to the way that people like, conduct their, themselves, people who don't know Jesus. Like, are, do you know Jesus or not? It's like, are you going to deal with this outside of the kingdom of God or inside the kingdom of God? Are you a sheep or a goat, you know? Or, I mean, like, however, however you need to think about it. Don't conform to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't conform to the way it was before you knew him, because now you know him. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. For it's written, you shall be holy because I am holy. Like, okay, holiness in every area of life. And if you're anything like me, you're like, I have no idea what that even looks like. You know what's cool? You know, you know what's amazing about that? That we don't, okay, we don't know, that's fine. The one who does know is seated on the very throne of grace that we are being beckoned to all the time. Jesus is saying, I know you don't know, but I know, and I'll show you. I just, I just feel like Jesus wants us to live in holiness like way more than we realize. And far more than we do. Even, even in your most honest place, as much as you want that for your life, Jesus wants it even more. And so He is the high priest who is, has made the sacrifice. Now He plays the role of intercessor, praying for you guiding you down the path of righteousness for His name's sake. Psalm 23 is real. All this stuff, it all fits together. But a lot of it honestly falls apart if you don't really believe that Jesus has been tempted in every way as you are, yet was without sin. Because I think if we don't believe that, then He's just whatever. He's just another priest. But when we see him for who he is, we're like, oh, okay. He's that priest. He's the one Genesis 3.5 speaks of. He has bruised the head of the devil. 
He's the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace of Isaiah 9. He's the one who's gone through the heavens. He's the one seated on the throne of grace. He's the one that is sitting there with no obstacle between you saying, come to me and let me walk you through this. Peter obviously learned some things. And we're blessed enough to be able to see some of these very practical things that are there. But it all points back to the same Jesus. And so I don't know where this lands with you. But look, if, if, you're, if you're a lot like Daniel LaRusso, just keep, if you just keep getting beaten up and beaten up and beaten up in the same area of life or in a bunch of areas of life or whatever, you don't have to, you don't have to live that way. That Jesus has come to make all things new. That's not just the future heaven, that's today for us. And so, will you approach the throne of grace confidently or not? That's, that's your deal. I believe God just wants us to keep a very clear picture of who He is in front of everybody. So that response is coming from the heart. And so if that's you, you just need to know exactly who He is and exactly how He feels about you. Um, so I'm going to pray. The band's going to come. We're going to sing a little bit more in response. So let me pray for us. Let's, let's all stand together. Jesus, as we, as we stand here in these moments, I pray that you would let us just feel the weight of the fact that you are right now interceding for us. That you're not busy tending to other things, that you're not distracted. But you're, you're a big God who is able to completely with all your fullness, be praying for us in these moments. And Lord, I thank you for that, that reality. And ask for your help in, to live in that in our minds right now. And I know, Lord, for some of us, you're praying that we would that we would just really just surrender. You're praying for some that just, just admit, like, I just keep getting beaten up in this area and I need some help. I know you're praying for some that they would see the beauty of the offer that's on the table. The beauty of the throne of grace. For some, you're praying, you're praying for their struggles and for the, just the heavy things that are on their minds and on their hearts right now. And you're praying for struggles with sin, struggles in relationships, financial concerns, things with work or school or family or kids. Or You've got it all covered. And Lord, we, just, we need your help in seeing the beauty of the throne of grace. That it would be 
something that we are in no way hesitant about or scared of or we find reasons to not come to you. But Lord, that we would have the mindset of obedient children. That we would see your holiness and your beauty and we would set our hope on you. And that in that surrender, in a sense, we are preparing our minds for action. Not for inaction and not for laziness and not for whatever. We're, we're getting our minds ready to move to you, to draw near to you in light of who you are. We admit we don't, we don't know what holiness looks like all the time. We don't know how to, to deal with sin struggles in, in a way that is victorious all the time. We don't know how to change our mindset from those who are in bondage to those who are free. And so going back to the beginning of Lent and the idea of just we need that we need rehab we need we're recovering from that bondage to sin to learn to walk in your holiness Lord help us to want that we can't manufacture that we need your help help us to not be so prideful and self-reliant that we're we refuse to ask for help Lord And you just spend a little time with Jesus and then we're going to sing as a part of our response to tonight.